Hoffman loses control of the puck and goes to the far board. Here's Gerald with a turnaround shot deflected to the backboard on the left side. Martin pokes it out in front. O'Shea, a shot and a goal! Welcome to A Shot and a Goal, part of the On the Air Podcast Network. guys welcome to episode 26 of a shot and a goal a podcast about hockey broadcasters my name is jake baskin i'd like to extend a special welcome to the nhl message to the seattle kraken a name i honestly don't like all that much now but like the new orleans pelicans i'm pretty sure it'll grow on me by the time they actually start playing helps that they have some killer uniforms it looks like i'm currently debating whether to throw my hat in the ring to their likely very large broadcaster application pool, though I probably have a better chance of winning the lottery than getting one of their play-by-play jobs in 2021. As I record this on Thursday night, I'm glad to finally have Major League Baseball back, and I'm sure I'll take that statement back after a few games of my beloved Orioles getting pounded by the AL and NL East. Also worth mentioning is that Episode 2 guest Steven Nelson, who called one Major League game last year, is on the call on MLB Network for Saturday's game between the Pirates and Cardinals. And as we discussed in our interview way back when, he has plenty of experience calling games off a monitor. Congratulations to him for getting another opportunity to work a big league game. Today's guest marks our first trip to yet another league, this time the North American Hockey League. TJ Shalott is the voice of the Austin Bruins. Yes, the Austin Bruins the junior team located in Austin, Minnesota. He's had an interesting ride, starting with the fact he didn't get started broadcasting until his late 20s. His first play-by-play job was actually in pro hockey, in the fabled SPHL with the Mississippi River Kings. We'll talk about working in both leagues, as well as the circumstances behind his seemingly downward move from pro to junior hockey. I don't want to spoil anything else here, And there are a lot of interesting topics in this episode, some we've covered with other guests and some that are unique to TJ, but he's living proof that there is no one path to becoming a hockey broadcaster. This is TJ Shalott from the Austin Bruins on episode 26 of A Shot and a Goal. Sheriff moves around a man. Cuts to the base of the circle, finds Pianola. He scores! Jed Pianola with .6 seconds left to go, and the Bruins win it in overtime. What a play! What a goal! Jed Pianola, his second of the night, wins it for the black and gold. Hi, and welcome to episode, I think it's 26 of A Shot and a Goal, part of the On the Air Podcast Network. My name is Jake Baskin, and today we're going to junior hockey, our first trip to the North American Hockey League, TJ Shalott. How's it going, TJ? Jake, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I love listening to the pod, so uh, to be on the other side, it's, uh, it's a privilege for me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Let's start with some lighthearted questions. You are from the East Coast. How often have you had to explain the name of your team to people not from Austin? Oh, all the time. I can't tell you how many times, you know, people, I'll, I'll say that, I work for the Austin Bruins, and the first thing that they'll say is the Boston Bruins, and I'm like, no, I'm not in the NHL quite yet. One day, I'd love to be there, but not yet. And then they're like, oh, okay, Austin, Texas. 
No, not Austin, Texas. Actually, much further north in Austin, Minnesota. So it's it's a pretty common thing when I'm talking to family members, friends back home, or anybody who doesn't quite know exactly what state I'm in. It's it's a common circle that we get stuck in. It goes exactly like that. The only thing I know about Austin is spam. That's pretty much that's the reason the town exists. To be honest with you, the Hormel plant here really runs this town. If you're not working for Hormel, you know somebody who's working for Hormel or for one of the other outfits that supplies Hormel with the things that they need, whether it's labels and printing or you know pig products or anything like that. It's it literally is it runs the town and it's one of the the reasons that there's twenty five thousand people here in this small little town that's only about you know ten to fifteen miles wide. What have you been up to during the pause? You know, thankfully, I'm very fortunate because I'm still employed with the Austin Bruins. And I know there's so many people out there in our position that have been furloughed or have been laid off. And I've been fortunate enough, thanks to Craig Patrick and Mike Cooper, our owners, they've kept me on board. And I've been able to go to work every day and work a nine to five get things ready to go. It's a small office that we run. So I have a million things to do and I'm looking forward to next year in terms of getting social media and graphics redesign. And we're thinking about ticketing and we're thinking about promo nights and all that stuff, uh, sales and sponsorships. And it all kind of falls on my shoulders. So there's more than enough work to do. Um, so every day I go in and I try and find something to do and get us ready. I keep just looking over, hoping that uh, the season's right around the corner. And I, I think it is. So I keep busy. I I got things to do. When did you decide you wanted to do play-by-play and what made you want to? You know, I'm a little bit of an oddball. I don't think that I, um, I know for sure that I'm not like most of the other people that I've heard on podcasts in in the past, you know, they'll tell you that they knew that they wanted to be a a sports broadcaster from the day that they could start talking or, you know, from the time that they were three, four, five years old for me, I, I never, I always enjoyed it. I loved listening to games. I've always played sports. I've always been around, but it was not nearly that early for me. It was much, much later. It wasn't until I was about 28 years old. Um, you know, when I was in high school and in my formative years, I thought I wanted to be an architect. And after I got into college, a small community college back home in my home state of Pennsylvania, after one semester of architecture, I realized, you know what, there's way too much math involved with this. I probably should have looked at my track record, my grades and my math classes in high school to realize that that's not going to be my life path. But I switched over to journalism and I did take a minor in radio TV. And even at that point, I didn't think it was because I was ever going to be a play-by-play broadcaster. I just always felt that that was something that it was too much of a pipe dream. That if I ever like came out and said, I want to be a broadcaster, everybody would look at me and like laugh and just be like, no, nobody actually gets those jobs. You know, it, it was just, it was something that after it was about eight years, I was working in car sales. I was a car salesman. I was a car, man, car sales manager for a little while. And one night I was driving home and I heard the local ESPN radio affiliate needed help for just someone to push buttons behind the scene. And I applied, I was graciously given the job and that began my radio career. And even during the first six or eight months that I was there, I thought, I still didn't think play-by-play was ever going to be an option for me. It never even dawned on me until one day somebody just kind of said, well, why don't you go record a demo? I was like, oh, you know, that, that might not be a bad idea. And then it became a reality. It, it, it just, it was much later. I wasn't, I wasn't until I was about 28 years old before that, that became something I, I realized I wanted to do. Did you specifically zero in on hockey or did that just kind of come out of the blue? That kind of came out of the 
the blue, I've always been a hockey fan. Um, growing up, you know, my parents are big sports people. My dad got me into sports, and they would come to every one of my baseball games, every one of anything that I was doing. And I picked up hockey um, later on in life, and it was something that my dad really wasn't all that familiar with. So I kind of learned it on my own, and it instantly became my favorite sport. You know, I, I was a huge hockey nut. I'm a big New Jersey Devils fan. And um, I, when it came time for play-by-play, I didn't care what sport it was going to be. I would have taken anything, but I was very fortunate in the area that I'm from. I'm from Allentown, Pennsylvania. In Allentown, we have a AAA baseball team, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, the top affiliate for the Phillies. And we also have an American Hockey League team, the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, all in the same city. So the opportunities that I got at ESPN Radio to work for the Iron Pigs ended up leading me into an internship with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. It was just pure coincidence that the internship popped up at a time in my life where I could take it and I took it and I was able to get that internship and hockey became the thing. I was listening to the podcast that you had a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago with Nick Hart, who mentioned that he has never called anything but hockey. And I'm the exact same way. I have never called officially any other sport other than hockey. I've done some demos for basketball games and baseball games, but they were only for my own personal use and really to get me started um, down my career path. They never went over the airwaves or anything. It's always just been hockey. How did you learn how to do play-by-play? I was fortunate. When I got that job with ESPN Radio uh, back in 2015, my boss, Tom Fallon, the program director, uh, and my my co-worker and good friend, Matt Marcus, they both did play-by-play for the local college in town, Lehigh University. Tom did the, and still does, Lehigh men's basketball, and Matt does Lehigh women's basketball. We also had Lehigh football on as well, and I would occasionally work the studio for that, and it was more of an osmosis thing for me, just sitting back and listening to them. You know, I had my job to do and I had to listen for my cues and I had to make sure that I'm hitting the right buttons at the right time and getting us to commercial break and all that stuff. But sitting back and listening to those two guys describe basketball, describe football, describe even baseball. Because as I mentioned, we literally have Alley Iron Pigs um, right there in my hometown. And the station that I worked at was the flagship station for the baseball team. So every now and then I would fill in for them as well. And I would listen to the games and it just became an osmosis thing. I kind of, as I listen back to myself and I critique, I hear a lot of their influences. And when I got to the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, when I interned there, that's when I truly learned hockey play by play. I learned the production side of things and I learned some of the more basic and common core things that you do in play-by-play, listening to Matt Marcus and Tom Fallon, those two guys, when they would do the Lehigh University basketball games. But I learned hockey play-by-play from Bob Rotruck, the voice of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. I interned under him for an entire season and literally sitting seven or eight inches to his right, cutting his highlights, listening into every single home game. I actually, I lived in an apartment building directly across the street from the arena. So getting to my internship was just a matter of crossing the road. So I was at every single home game and I would travel to every region, reasonably close away game. So the Hershey games I would go to, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton games I would go to. So, you know, just sitting there and absorbing and listening to these guys, what they would do. And fortunately through the Phantoms, um, we had another 
uh, another intern along with me, Mike Zahn, who actually fills in for Phil Jubileo, another guy that you have recently had on the pod not too long ago with the Connecticut Whale. And me and Mike would alternate games at home. One of us would do a demo, and then one of us would be in the booth with Bob, and then Bob would sit and listen to our demos and kind of critique and say, you're not saying the score enough here. Don't, you know, one of my early issues was I would say that was a really, really good shot or I would have way too many words. He'd cut that out, get, you know, get rid of that. So that's pretty much how it all came together. It kind of came together in phases for me. I've actually been to Allentown once. It's, it's a cool town. It was a long time ago. It was like six, seven years ago. And you know, I was on my first college search back then. I visited Muhlenberg, didn't end up applying. What really stuck with me about Allentown was we went to a Pennsylvania Dutch restaurant, got to have some bratwurst, and it was really good. Oh, absolutely. Pennsylvania Dutch culture runs ripe in, in the Lehigh Valley and beyond. I'll never forget the first time I traveled out to see a buddy who goes to Lock Haven University, which is not far from Penn State University. We pulled up into the Walmart, and they actually had parking spaces. They had the handicapped spaces, and they had the, the mothers expecting children spaces, and then they had horse and buggy spaces. I'll never forget nice. that. Um, but that's Pennsylvania Dutch country. It's pretty cool. How did you get connected with the Mississippi River Kings and get the job there? Mississippi River Kings, so my life kind of came to a point, like I had to make a decision. So after working in car sales for about eight years and that final year of it, I was working at the radio station as well, part-time because it was fun. It didn't really feel like work to me at all. Um, but eventually I decided and I made the decision that radio broadcasting, that was going to be my career. So I ended up leaving the car sales job and I was working just about full-time, as close to full-time as they could possibly do without actually having to put me at full-time. And I was then picked up the internship with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. So while I was doing the two of those, the internship came up and done, and I just was kind of out of money. Like I was at the point where I was like, okay, this is great, this is fun, but as we all know, you're not getting into radio if you're trying to make a ton of money. And I had come to the point where – I was working an unpaid internship and I was making just about minimum wage, maybe a little bit more than that at the radio station. And I just needed to do something. So, you know, I got onto the Sportscasters Talent Agency of America. John Chalesnik does an awesome job with that site. And one day as I was walking out the front door, I saw, I got an email that there was a team in Mississippi that was looking for a broadcaster and I applied. Um, I ended up interviewing maybe about a week later and David Schmall, the general manager at the time of the river Kings was a really awesome guy. I also interviewed with Derek Landmesser, the former head coach of the team. And we just kind of, we hit it off and they decided to hire me. And I made the decision after 29 years of my life living in Allentown and living in the Lehigh Valley. I was like, that's it. I'm going to go to Mississippi. And I I didn't care. You know, it, it didn't matter if that job came through and they told me that it was in, you know, in Juneau, Alaska, I'd be like, okay, let's go. <laughs> I, I needed something and I wanted to get my career started. And it was the River Kings and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be happier for my year that I spent there. I can only imagine you telling your friends and family, I'm going to go call hockey for a living. Oh, where's that? Mississippi. Uh, oh, it was, it was a conflict. It was a complication. It made things a lot better. Um, when I ended up getting the job here in Austin and I tell everybody Austin, Minnesota, they were all like, Oh, okay. So you're not going from 
Mississippi to Texas, you're going Mississippi to Minnesota. That makes more sense for a hockey guy. But yeah, originally it was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know it's, it's Mississippi and granted it's North Mississippi. You know, we were right outside of Memphis. We're only about 15 miles away from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, but still that's the South and it's, it's not exactly hockey country, but uh, those fans are just as loyal. I've never watched a full SPHL game. I know Alan Furing, who I've had on the podcast and is right up here in Connecticut now, did SPHL games for a while. I only know some of the reputation of the league. So what was calling games in that league like? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was perfect for me as a beginner because the action was plentiful. You know, there was plenty of fights for me to start learning how to do that because that was, you know, one thing that I kind of was lacking during my demos and my internship because in the American Hockey League, they just don't quite fight as much as they do in the lower levels of minor. So I ended up getting my feet wet in doing things like that. It was professional in the sense that everybody that I ever came across were were absolute professionals, you know, whether it was Brad Kupiak, the former voice of the Peoria Rivermen, or Brian Gardner, who's in Roanoke, and, you know, you even get to rub some shoulders with some of the bigger names. At that time, Eli Gold was the voice of the Birmingham Bulls, um, and to be able to meet someone like that just because, you know, they're coming to town, it's, it's a pretty cool thing, and it was one of my first experiences with that, but the level of hockey was a lot better than I had assumed it would be. You know, I heard that I didn't know much about the SPHL when I applied, and again, it didn't matter to me. I just wanted a job in hockey, so when I heard that it was basically the equivalent of single-A you know, it's kind of lower end and there's only been one player to ever make it from the SPHL to the NHL. I was like, okay, so what's this hockey going to be like? But it was really good hockey. I really enjoyed it. And I had the opportunity to build the broadcast from pregame show to postgame show to the intermissions to interviews. All that was all on me and they let me run that. It gave me the opportunity to really sink my teeth into something, but not something that I couldn't handle. Eli Gold has to be the only person to call NHL games and top-level NASCAR races. Absolutely, and Alabama football. He's the voice of the Crimson Tide as well. Um, As a matter of fact, I filled in for him. I drove from South Haven, Mississippi to Birmingham, Alabama on a Sunday for a game that the Birmingham Bulls were taking on the Pensacola Ice Flyers, and the Ice Flyers never traveled their broadcaster, and by league rule, you have to have somebody there if you're the home team, and Eli was doing, I believe it was a NASCAR thing, because it was a Sunday, and he couldn't do it, and they could not find a broadcaster, and uh, the late Art Clarkson reached out to me, and he was like, hey, if I, if I paid you a little bit, would you drive on out and, and cover this? And I was like, yeah, sure, it's a Sunday, I'm not doing anything else. You know, I checked in with my team first and checked in with my coach and my GM. And I'm like, hey, can I go call games for another team in our league? And hey, by the way, they are going to pay me. Is that cool with you? And they're like, yeah, no, go get the rep. Go go enjoy it. So I drove the three and a half hours over, uh, did the game, and then drove three and a half hours back. And I filled in for Eli on, on that particular occasion. And he also, uh, at one point or another, he walked off with a few of my adapters that I never got back. When he came to visit us at the Lander Center in South Haven, uh, he didn't have all the equipment he needed to have to get on the air, so I helped him out, and I gave him a couple adapters to get down to where he needed to be, and uh, I never saw them again. I, I think he kind of forgot that he borrowed them from me, and he walked off with them, and I never saw him again. So <laughs> that's my Eli Gold story. What were the fans like? Down in Mississippi, the fans were amazing. You know, it, it's because it's not a traditional hockey market, you don't run into a lot of casual fans because – it's just you're either a hockey fan and you're a hockey 
nut. I mean, the word fan comes from fanatic. So you're either a hockey fanatic or you didn't know that the River Kings even existed or that there was hockey in Mississippi. So all the fans that we came across, they were nuts. They were crazy. They were so much fun, and they really supported the team. Um, it's a shame to see that they don't get the opportunity to enjoy that team anymore after the team folded in 2017-18, but they were so nice. I still keep in contact with a lot of them on Facebook, and many of them reach out to me still to this day. How do you handle being told that your team is suspending operations and you have to go and find a new job? It was a tough day. That was that was a really hard. It was actually my one year anniversary with the team. Um, and as someone who, you know, again, I, I spent eight years in, in in the car business. And I thought that was going to be my life. I thought that I was going to get married. I was going to stay in Lehigh Valley. I was making a good living. There was no reason for me to jar that whole thing loose. But ultimately, I did. So when I made that decision and I took that leap of faith and I landed in Mississippi, I finally thought to myself, okay, I got my footing. I'm here. I'm with an organization that's going on their 26th year, going back to the IHL days, the CHL days, and then there were seven years in the SPHL. I'm like, I'm at a place right now. It's owned by a nonprofit. Uh, there was a connection there between the nonprofit and why they own the team. And I was like, this is stable. This is really good. And then to find out on your one-year anniversary that the team's folding, it was like a gut punch. It felt like someone was knocking the wind just completely out of me because here I am just getting my career truly started, just finding my footing in, in low levels of minor pro hockey. I'm trying to climb that ladder. I always figured – throughout that whole year anyway. I figured I'm le- if I'm leaving, I'm leaving on my own fruition because I'm going up to the ECHL or I'm going somewhere where I can get more exposure. And that's not exactly what happened. It happened in a roundabout way, but uh, when they came in and they let us know that uh, that was our final, or, or that was it, that they were folding the team, it was it was like a gut punch. And being on my, my one-year anniversary, our owner had come in that day and we, we saw our owner quite a bit, but it was usually during game days and stuff. So she came into the office. There was usually something going, something big going on. Um, our GM had stepped down mid-season, so we saw her at that point. And if there was a big firing or they were going to let somebody go, she would come in. So when I saw her come in that day, I was a little like, uh-oh. And I even kind of went to my assistant, our interim GM, Bradley Field, and I kind of elbowed him a little bit. I'm like, hey, so the owner's here. Who do you think's getting fired? And little did I know it was going to be all of us. How did you land the job in Austin? So Austin was similar to uh, landing my job in Mississippi. You know, when I found out that we were folding, the first thing I did was, you know, look around. I found out that we were uh, ceasing operations, I guess, is the technical uh, term because the, the franchise is still for sale. So it's, it's hard to say that's good. It didn't just disappear. It's still out there. If somebody wants to buy it. So I guess when I found out the team was ceasing operations, the first thing I did was hop online and see what was available, but it was a little early in the job hunting time. It was about April, early May. And a lot of teams, you know, in levels that I wanted to get to were still playing. They're still in the postseason. They haven't made decisions or haven't, you know, Black Monday hasn't rolled around or any of that stuff for them. So it was a little early. And I was uh, I was online one night and I happened to see the Austin Bruins of the NHL. And again, I didn't know too much about junior hockey because I've been, I've been kind of entirely self-taught when it came to the different levels and just things that I experienced. You know, I knew about 
the, the hierarchy of NHL, AHL, and CHL. And then I learned about the SPHL, and I learned about the Fed in my time in the SPHL, too. So I didn't really know too much about junior hockey. I knew junior A, the big clubs from where all these kids get drafted into the NHL, but I didn't know much about the American side of things. So I immediately went to our head coach at the time, Derek Landmesser, and I said, hey, listen, so there's a job here in, in Austin, Minnesota, in the NHL. I was like, what can you tell me about that league? Like, is this a good move for me? And he was like, well, honestly, you're losing your job here, so anything's a good move for you. And I was like, yeah, I get that, but I don't want to take something where I'm going to end up, you know, just floundering for years, and it's not going to look good on a resume. If I can, I'd like to get somewhere that's going to at least get me something. And he goes, well, the NAHL is probably the perfect spot for you because – they're up and coming. They're committing kids left and right. And then he rattled off a couple names of kids that uh, were in our league or that were playing for the team that had played in the NAHL. And he's like, this is the kind of exposure that you're going to get. And I was like, okay, yeah, so it's, it's worth my time to apply. I applied on a, I want to say a Thursday afternoon. And by officially by the following Monday, they offered me the job. And I had applied for a couple other jobs in the meantime, and I was actually offered another job in the SPHL at that time, which I decided not to take. Um, and I ended up going with the Bruins because I really liked the idea of getting in on the ground floor. The amount of scouts that listen to my broadcast or the amount of parents who are former players, you know, I can think of at least 10 kids whose parents were former NHL players who have listened to me in my broadcast because they've come through. And that kind of exposure really means something to me. And obviously everybody in this, in this industry is connected. So if, if you can have a good reputation and people know who you are in the NHL, you're going to go places. You're going to move up. And when I did some research about why the current Austin Bruins broadcaster was leaving, uh, that's Mike Keeley, currently is the voice of the main Mariners in the ECHL. I found out that he went to the ECHL. I found out that his predecessor went to the ECHL. And I'm sitting here looking and I'm going, this is a perfect place to really hone some skills, really get going and see where that leads. What have you noticed about the quality of play in the NAHL? You know, at first, I was it was a hard thing for me to adjust. And I think it was because of the speed of the game coming from pro to the NAHL. When you look at overall talent, these kids playing at this level are going to be head and shoulders better than anything I've ever seen in the SPHL. But because of the fact that SPHLers are in their mid-20s, and most of them, you know, they average in size six foot one, six foot two, two hundred ish pounds, and that's a big kid in the NAHL. The first thing I had to get used to was the slowdown of speed. You know, there was long tie-ups along the boards and there was a lot of back and forth action where there really wasn't much to talk about that was going on it was just missed pass here that was intercepted by the other team uh, another bank pass that missed its mark and went down the other side so I had to really adjust to that uh, when I first got in there but it's incredible to see the individual growth these kids have from year to year I'll never forget my first year I was looking at this one kid going how is he even on this roster? Like I look at him out there and he, he just looks like a deer in the headlights and he just looks lost. And I'm not a hockey scout. I'm not a referee. I'm not a coach. I never played organized hockey outside of some beer leagues. So I can't say to that, but when I saw him come back in his second year, unbelievable, the growth that he had, he was one of our top scorers 
ended up getting injured, but it, it's just incredible to see how talented these kids are and how much they grow from year to year. And I can completely understand why when they go into D1 schools, they are real. That's a really good hockey. You can see why. I find the league to be pretty fascinating. Guys come from all over the country and from Canada and from Europe to play in this league with a lot of different teams in a lot of different places, many of them non-traditional, and they're 19, 20, basically playing for college scholarships. How much are you interested in this storyline aspect of players, and how much do you incorporate into your broadcasts and the other parts of your job? Originally, I wasn't too interested uh, because, again, that was my own just misinformation. That was just my own naivety and just not knowing enough about the league. But as I started learning and seeing the commitment that the NAHL and the commitment that the teams in the NAHL and the coaches put out there for these kids so that they can get that D1 scholarship or even a D3. I'm not, I'm not going to slack on any of the division three schools. They're extremely good hockey players. When I saw that commitment firsthand, I realized that's the purpose of this league, you know, and when I realized that the purpose of this league is to get those kids up a level is to get them to D1, I realized that's what my listeners want to hear. So when there are kids that have commitments, I make sure to mention what school they're committed to at least once a game, especially for the visiting team, because I realize most of our listeners are probably parents and fans of our team. So I'm going to go ahead and make sure that I give enough information about our team, but I really kind of dive deeper into the opposing team that we might only play six or eight times a year that our fans might not be a hundred percent on. You know, they're, if they're listening to me every game, they're going to hear 60 times where this kid committed and where this kid is from and so on and so forth. Um, so it became a big, a big focus for me. It's also just a nice way to vary things up when you're talking about guys. Instead of just using their last name, you can always say the Western Michigan commit or the, the Denver University commit. So it's, it's important information and it gives you a way to kind of dial things up. Um, my first season with the Austin Bruins, our ownership group actually bought stake in an NA3HL franchise. They purchased the whole thing. They own the Rochester Grizzlies, which is about 45 minutes east of where we're located here in Austin. And that became another uh, another focus point for me because I would see so many kids come up from our NA3 program. And again, that's the purpose of the NA3 is to get kids to the NA. And the purpose of the NA is to get kids to the USHL and to get them up to D1. So it became just this thread of where did guys play before they got to the Bruins? Was it high school hockey? Was it Minnesota high school hockey, which is huge up here? Or was it NA3? And where are they going to be going? And that's kind of the stuff that I talk about. Obviously, you have a little bit less to talk about when it comes to where are they going to be going? Because not every kid has a commitment and you don't always know. Uh, but when you do have, you know, five, six, seven kids on your roster that are committed, you absolutely you have to talk about it. it it's the whole purpose of the league. I just pulled up the game notes on Google Docs from the one D3 men's college hockey game I did this year. And I'm looking at my notes and I find that there are a few NAHL guys. There's uh, Minnesota Magicians and Wichita Falls and Amarillo and Springfield and WBS and the New Jersey Titans. A lot of these guys showed up in the one game I called this year. Absolutely. The NAHL is becoming the premier league in the United States. I mean, obviously, the USHL is still where it's at, but it's a much smaller league in the USHL. So the spots are limited. 
and naturally. I mean, that that's just the, the law of nature, right? If you only have, you know, select teams that you can go to, the next level is only going to get better and better and better. And we feed down to the NA3, and it's only going to get better and better, and those kids are going to make huge impacts. I mean, when you talk about guys that have graduated in the NHL, Blake Lazat, Corey Schneider, uh, I think Connor Hellebuck, you can go on and on. I mean, we have four let me make sure that I'm right on that. Yeah, we have four guys that have played in the NHL that were at one time Austin Bruins, Christian Fallen, CJ Smith, Nico Sturm. Um, Jake Kiley will likely get to the NHL one day. He's currently in the ECHL, but he's a young goaltender, so it's incredible. Do you travel with the team? Yeah, that was one thing that uh, I made sure of no matter where I applied, I wanted to travel. When I was in Mississippi, I really, that was something that I learned. Big time when I got to Mississippi, the ins and outs of being a traveling broadcaster, because I had never had to do that before. Even when I was, quote unquote, traveling as an intern with Lehigh Valley Phantoms, I just drove because it was only an hour and a half or, you know, it was relatively short. And I might have been working at the radio station and not sure what time I could leave. So I was never part of the team bus or anything like that. Plus, I'm an intern. I'm not going to take up a seat on the bus as an intern. I, I can just drive. Um, so when I got to Mississippi, I really learned that side of the business. And, man, I love it. I love being able to just get out and, and do my thing. I feel like the world slows down a little bit when I get on the road because I can just focus on my prep. I can read everything and just kind of dive into the games that are coming up. I tend to have my best broadcasts on a Saturday when we're on the road because of that sheer fact you know friday we're generally on the bus so we'll get right off the bus right into the booth right into the game so i kind of feel a little bit rushed but i'm always prepared but that saturday after being able to wake up in the morning in the hotel do my work go over everything with a fine tooth combed exhale a little bit and then just get on the bus and go do my broadcast i tend to have a better broadcast on saturdays but i absolutely love traveling and and seeing the different parts of the country i mean down in mississippi we went to virginia we went to fayetteville we went to pensacola indiana illinois we were all over the east coast in that regard alabama tennessee and now that i'm up here uh, with the Austin Bruins, we've gotten out. I've now been able to see North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, obviously Minnesota, um, and recently this past year when I was elected to the NAHL top prospects to be one of the broadcasters to represent the league, I got to check out Attleboro, Massachusetts. I had never been up in New England, even though I'm from Pennsylvania. Shame to say that, but that was my first time in New England, and it's just it's one of the re- it was an absolute must have when I was looking for a job after the River Kings ceased operations. I had to travel with the Besides broadcasting, what else do you do for the team? So I run our social media pages. I'm also our lead graphic designer, and that will bleed over into a lot of our game production. So a lot of our stuff that goes on the Jumbotron, things like that are all designed by me. I also do sales and sponsorships. Um, so a lot of that bleeds into graphic design as well, designing dashboards or designing, you know, Jumbotron ads or what have you. I also handle a lot of the tickets, some of the game ops stuff. It's a small office. There's just just a couple of us, and you, you pretty much have to do it all. So it, it, it's, I've learned everything here in Austin. You know, this ticketing side of things I really never touched before. And same thing with graphic design. When I was in Mississippi, we had a guy, Bradley Field. He did all of that for us, and we just uh, – it was something I never really did, so I had to teach myself. And, and 
I, I absolutely love doing it. So, you know, between all that stuff, the press releases and coordinating interviews with players and coaches, uh, everything falls basically on, on my hat. What do you do with Sportscaster Life? So at Sportscaster Life, I'm the managing editor along with Alex Ronsley. And the two of us are kind of in it together, even though it's his site. I'm not going to try and take anything away from him, but I am one of the curators, one of the writers. I, I assist him in finding podcasts much like yours to get out and share with other sportscasters who are out there. I write articles where we've got some things in the work that are that are pretty big that are going to be coming out in the next couple months. So we're, we're diving through those and we'll talk about once a week on you know what we can do for the site. We redesigned the site not too long ago. We recently added a new scorebook, which is actually a self-critique book, which many broadcasters it's obviously a shameless plug here highly recommended but it's the opportunity to go back and listen to your your games and critique yourself and it has a grading system that was something that i had designed in mississippi for myself and i was using it and i figured you know what why don't we make this a little bit better and alex went ahead and did that and got it all ready to print so you know we offer some things like that but i have to help with designing that kind of stuff and really just looking for things that sportscasters find use and can help advance their career. And between me and Alex, we're kind of just trying to, to take sportscaster life to the next level and, and make it one of those sites that you absolutely have to have and have to know about if you're a broadcaster in this world. I started my broadcasting basically on my own. I was calling high school baseball in Stratford, Connecticut. I think the it was an interview with Sportscaster Life with former NHL and Minnesota Gophers announcer Doug McLeod that told me to like contact high schools and just sit in the stands and call games. So, yep, yeah, and that's the information that we try to share because you know a lot of people start out the way you do. You know, I've been so fortunate, as I mentioned, when I got my job at ESPN Radio with Tom Fallon, Matt Marcus, and Matt Height, the guys that were working there who really helped me out to. Bob Rotruck and Dan, who were the guys in Lehigh Valley who really helped me learn that stuff. I've been fortunate to have someone there to mentor me or, for lack of a better term, hold my hand through the whole process. But there's so many people out there that are just like you who don't know where to get started and don't know how to begin. And that's kind of what Sportscaster Life is trying to do, is trying to give some people that direction and say it is just as easy as calling the high schools. They're probably they'd love to have you do it, especially if you're going to do it for free. You know, it's only going to make them sound better. And some people that doesn't just pop in their mind naturally. It's not an organic thing. They need to be told that. And honestly, it, same thing happened to me. I didn't know play by play was an option. And so, you know, Phil Constantino, he was the studio voice of Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. He's now the broadcasting director down at Queens college in uh, Charlotte. And he just told me, he's like, well, why don't you try play by play? And I was like, somebody hit me in the head with a hockey stick. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I, I could probably try that out. So Alex and I try to take our, our experiences that happen to us like that and put it on, quote, unquote, paper so people can read it and people can be interested and they, and they can realize that it's it, it seems like a scary thing to get started in. But it, it's not. Once you get going, you got to be opportunistic and you got to always keep working on your craft. But things will break for you. Last question. Do you have any long-term or end goals for your career? I think everybody's end goals end up in the NHL or the Major League Baseball or NFL, whatever sport it is that you call. My long-term goal is to one day end up and be on an NHL 
paylet payroll. I don't care where it is. I don't care what the team is, but that's my goal. So every single day I'm working towards that. And I realize that, you know, at 32 years old, most broadcasters in the NHL, you know, outside of maybe Faust in, in LA are a little bit older than that. So I've got some time. So I try to, every single year that goes by, I try to work on one part of my game that I know I need to get to a better level so I can get to a better level. Every single season I do, a, I put a survey out there on my Twitter and on my Facebook and stuff for fans who listen to me during the season. And I want to pinpoint what I need help on. My, our fans are so awesome here in Austin. They got back to me this year and basically said, you know what I need to do a little bit more of is I need to have a little bit better of a pregame and a postgame show. And postgame show is a little tough because I'm always worried about missing the bus. You never want to be that guy that misses the, the team bus, especially after a loss or something. I could be stranded in Aberdeen, South Dakota for a Saturday night if I'm not careful. But that's one of the things that I'm working on this summer is making sure that our pregame show is one of the best in the NHL coming up and I've done things from creating um, pre-game video shows that I'm going to blast out on YouTube and Facebook and Twitch and Twitter and all this stuff and figuring all that out, getting cameras, getting lighting all figured out because that's what the fans said I need to be better at. So if I can do that one thing this offseason, then next season I can work on something else and become a truly rounded broadcaster and hopefully one day make it to the NHL. All right, TJ. Thank you for coming on and taking up almost 40 minutes of your time. Have a great day and good luck with the rest of your goals. And hopefully the season comes back soon. Jake, thanks again for having me on that. I really appreciate it. It was great. That was TJ Shalott, voice of the Austin Bruins. Thanks to him for coming on. I always like when I land guests who work in leagues or roles that don't get a lot of recognition, even in the hockey community. I'm thinking about guys like Jeremy Skiba in the Federal Prospects Hockey League or Mike Sanderson with his team's unconventional broadcasting setup, or Sebastian Goulet, who calls games in French. I think amplifying voices from different leagues is important, and if you're listening to this podcast and want me to interview you, just tell me. TJ's yet another guy who didn't go to a traditional four-year college. As I'm thinking about it, we've had quite a few of those on the podcast thus far, as well as people like, hopefully me, who finished up school a little bit later than usual. No one path, I keep saying that. You never know what will lead you to the broadcast booth or how long it'll take you to get there. That'll do it for episode 26 of A Shot in a Goal. You can follow me on Twitter at JakeBaskinPXP or you can access the backlog of episodes at A Shot in a Goal. Episode 27 will be out on Wednesday and it features another play-by-play announcer who interviews hockey broadcasters, Patrick McNeil from the QMJHL's Cape Breton Eagles. That was one of the most fun conversations I've ever had with someone outside the NHL, and you're going to want to listen. After that, you'll hear from Alex Thomas, Evan Pivnik, and hopefully more to come later. See you next week. <laughs>